Amen. Well, hey, thank you guys so much for leading. Um, kids, you are dismissed to Adventureland. You can go back to Mr. Bruchard in the back, and you will go back to the band room for Adventureland. Have fun. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and now, Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. That's what we sang. It's what we celebrate. The coming of the God of the universe is a man, Jesus Christ. So welcome. Uh, my name is Ben. I'm the pastor here. We are a Christ-centered family that glorifies God by loving Him, loving others, and making disciples. There's a lot of things I just want to jump in and say beforehand uh, today. Number one, a business meeting today after, the church, after church. You don't have to be a member. This could be your first Sunday, as John said. This isn't just a time for members to vote on the budget and the ballot, which we will do. It's also a time for us to have a little bit of a, um, a family conversation, family, family chat. Um, I like to jokingly call it the State of the Union Address for our church for the year, because that's kind of what it is. Where are we as a church, and where are we going in the year to come? And so please stick around for that. Uh, we'll try to keep it, like John said, to about 45 minutes. Okay, number two thing I want to say, Christmas Eve is going to be not this Friday, but next Friday, 6 o'clock, Deer Run. Uh, more information about where that is, we're going to post it on Facebook, we'll send it out in newsletters, we'll put it in the bulletin uh, next Sunday, but save that, well, you know the date, it's Christmas Eve, but Christmas Eve, 6 o'clock, yeah, the 24th, Chaz, yeah, um, 6 o'clock, Deer Run Lodge, so uh, we'll get you that address next time, but it's east side of the bay, right there. That is next week, and this is a great time to invite friends, invite people who maybe don't have a church family, maybe uh, people who are believers who, or, who aren't believers. Um, this is one of those few times where people seem very open, very willing to come together with a church. So let's bring our friends. We got all the space we need in that room. So it's a beautiful room. We'll have a roaring fire, uh, I think, and uh, it'll be good. So awesome. Uh, last thing I want to say to you before starting. Um, this week, uh, this church was a church to me and to our family. Um, on Tuesday afternoon, we had a bit of a medical emergency in our family. Um, Olivia had an ambulance ride. We didn't know what was going on with the baby. Um, and there, we spent two days in the hospital, uh, Tuesday and then, then Wednesday. It was a scary week, and God is good. Baby's okay. As far as we know, Olivia's okay. No real answer of what caused it. But what I want to say is thank you to our church. There were a lot of prayers. And we didn't very publicly share it everywhere because the more you share it, the more people you have to keep updated. And I texted enough already, but, but um, wanted to share it. Thank you for your prayers and thank you for the meals. Thank you for the check-ins. Thank you for the offers to help. Thank you for being a church to us this week. So we love you. So those are my three little short announcements as we get started here. But we are in Advent right now. Advent means coming. It's the season of the year where we celebrate the fact that God came. We've been in the book of Matthew through the Advent season this year, and today we're in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Go ahead, open up there. <clears throat> and up to this point in the book of Matthew, we have seen that this baby has come, not just as the next in a long line of people, but as the fulfillment of a whole bunch of promises, right? 
We saw two weeks ago that the promised offspring of Abraham would come to bless the nations. The promised offspring of David would come to sit on the eternal throne and that this baby is that child, that offspring. We saw last week that this baby boy was born as a virgin fulfilling the prophecy foretold by Isaiah that he would come and be God with us. He would come to save the people from their sins. And now today, believe it or not, there is yet another prophecy told about this baby, fulfilled in this baby. This is no normal baby, to put it lightly. And so we're getting into Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12 today, and we are turning to a well-known story. It is the story of the wise men, or as we might sing, the kings or the magi, mysterious men from the east following a star. And for as much as I love this story, there's just as many questions uh, I, I think that the context of this story is a little bit difficult. Who are these guys? Uh, what's with this star? How did they know to follow a star? I've never been tempted to follow a star. Maybe you have, but these guys decided that was the right course to take in this situation. Why? And so we're going to dive into this story, and more than just look at these people, these magi, we're going to actually be looking at three different people or groups of people in this story And for us, it's going to force us to wrestle with the question, how do we respond to the news that the king of the Jews was born? We're going to see how they responded. How do we respond? So let's go ahead and pray, and then I will start us right at the beginning. Matthew chapter 1, sorry, chapter 2, verse 1. Pray with me. God, this word is from you. Uh, We believe that it is from your lips, that therefore it is living, that it's active, that it's true, that it's good. We trust it and we believe it. We know that it's without error. Father, we know that anything it teaches is something that we can trust. And so we turn and give the next 30 plus minutes to understanding what's going on in this passage so that it can shape the way that we think, the way that we live. Father, don't let this be an exercise in futility. Don't let this be just a thing we do on a Sunday morning because that's what we do as Christians. I pray that this would be a time that we hungrily mine the depths of your word, that we hungrily feast on it, and that it wouldn't just taste good in our tongues as we, as we eat it, but that it would actually nourish us, Lord, that it would change us, that it would sustain us, that we would walk away from this morning just more in awe of the fact that you came, And also challenge to think about what it looks like for us to live as your people in this world. That's what we really want. For you to receive all the glory you are due through us who seek to honor you and make you happy with our lives. Do what you want this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Let me read those. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. We get a little bit of our setting here, right? The order of events. It starts with chronological context here. Where are we? Well, this is happening after Jesus was born. How long? I don't know. Uh, Weeks, months, we're not told. But Jesus is described here in this passage as a child, so who knows? Maybe it could be up to a year after. 
We don't know. But Jesus has already been born. And we also know it's in the days of Herod. Herod is the king. And this is Herod the Great. Of all the people who go by the name Herod in the Bible, this is the first Herod. This is the one that built the temple. And Herod is a puppet on the hand of Rome. He rules, rules over this area, this region of Judea. And we know from history and from the rest of the Bible that he is powerful, he is shrewd, and we'll soon to see he is ruthless. And so that sets the stage for us. And the main characters that we meet in these first couple of verses are these wise men, these kings, these magi, these men from the east that we really don't know all that much about. What we do know is that they're called, in, in the original language, it's magos, magi. That's where we get the word. So where do they come from? Well, chances are, because that's a Persian word, magos, that they probably came from Persia. Right there, or maybe Babylon, because frankly, there's not much else to the east of Israel. And so they probably traveled about 800 to 1,000 miles from Persia, from Babylon, from the Fertile Crescent, all the way over to the Mediterranean Sea to come and to see this baby following the star. That's the same distance from Alton, New Hampshire to Charleston, South Carolina, or all the way down to Jacksonville, Florida. It's a, it's a long journey. It's a long distance that they traveled. And so we see these men coming, and we, we, we look at the, this name Magoi, uh, Magos, these Magi, and these are, this is basically just the Persian word for priest, priest or sage. Uh, it seems that these guys were experts in astrology, interpretation of dreams, and so it's safe to say that these guys, they were not worshipers of the one true God. They weren't Jews. They were pagans. They worshiped other gods. They looked to these other magical, magical sources, which is it's the same word, it's the same root. This is where all of this comes from. These are not good Jewish boys. These are pagans. These are people from the nations. And even though they weren't worshipers of the one true God, it appears that in the course of their religious studies, these sages, they came across the Jewish writings. At least they came across one specific Jewish prophecy that's in the book of Numbers. Now, I want to read this passage to you because, frankly, for me, I don't know this passage very well. It comes from a, um, a, a prophecy that came from a man named Balaam. Um, I won't get into that whole story, uh, but Balaam makes a prophecy about Judah. And this is what he says, Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. This is what it says. He says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Okay, let me break down that prophecy. If we actually want to leave that on the screen, you can follow along. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. In other words, what he's saying is one will come in a future day. Someday, someone will come. That's all that part tells us. Let's keep going. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. What this is saying is that this one who will come someday in the future will hold a scepter. A scepter is a, a symbol of kingship. So this one that's coming to Israel will be a king. And the sign that this king will come is that a star will come out of Jacob. A star shall rise out of Israel. 
The way that this ancient Hebrew writing works is that it takes different lines and it stacks them on top of each other. And so this star is the same person, the same character as the one who holds the scepter. The last bit says this, It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. If we're going to put all this together, what this prophecy is saying is that one day in the future, a king will come from Jacob, and he will use his power to destroy Israel's enemies. And his sign is going to be a star. And so here are these magoi, these these magi. They see the star. Somehow they decide this is the star. I don't know how they decide this is the star. But somehow they decide this is the star of the prophecy. This is it. It's time to go. Let's follow it. Let's go and see this king that was born. So what do they do? They do the logical thing. They go to Jerusalem, and where do they go? They go to the palace. Because think about this. If the king is born, who's the king's daddy? The older king. They go to Jerusalem, going to Herod, because they think they're going, and asking him, hey, you had a son. Congratulations, sir. Hey, uh, I'm sure he's a beautiful, happy baby. Can we meet him? We've come to worship him. There's a problem there. Because Herod didn't have a baby. They go to the place where they expect to find the king, but they don't find the king there. Rather, what they do is they give the king some really bad news. There's another king coming. And the way that he responds to that is exactly the way that we would expect King Herod to respond to this. Because here's what we know about Herod. Herod, we know this just historically, Herod killed some of his sons and even his wife who threatened his power. Herod is is not a guy who's going to let another king come in and take his place. And so what does Herod do? Let's see. Join me in verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Probably an understatement. (laughs) And all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Location. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod's, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. So he's troubled, and he does his homework. Where is this baby? Well, he asks the, the, the people who would know. He asks the, the priests, the, the scribes, and they say this baby is going to come in Bethlehem, quoting to him a prophecy from the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, which says, From you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And when did the star appear? When was this baby born? Well, he ascertained from the wise men, these magi, what time the star had appeared. He gets the information he needs. He does his homework, and finally, he sends out the magi as unsuspecting scouts for him. He says to them, go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Well, here's a little secret. He's not going to worship them. That's not why he's searching. He's lying to them, but the Magi don't know, and so they go. They do this searching, and this is what we read next. I'm going to read to the end, verses 9 through 12. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose 
went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. I'm sure you've noticed by this point, just going through these first uh, two chapters of Matthew, over and over and over again, Matthew continually hyperlinks us back to the Old Testament. He adds these little snippets, these little words or, or expressions that are meant to pull us back to something that we read in the Old Testament. He shows us that this is the offspring of Abraham, that this is the descendant of David. He shows us that this is the baby that fulfills the prophecies of the virgin birth. He shows us that this is the star uh, arising out of uh, Judah. We also see even in this passage that this is the baby who is going to be born, born in the town of Bethlehem, according to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Over and over and over, you can find prophecy after prophecy. This is the one the Old Testament was talking about. And once again here, in verses 9 through 12, we, we, we gain a whole other level of understanding of what's happening in this passage when once again we return to the Old Testament and look at another passage. And I'm sure you might be getting sick of going to the Old Testament to see how all of this connects, but guys, I can tell you the Bible is so incredibly cool because it just connects so perfectly. In fact, the story of the birth of Jesus and the coming of the wise men, it's almost like it was written from a script in Isaiah chapter 60. Let me read Isaiah chapter 60 for you. And look for the similarities. And nations shall come to your light. And kings to the brightness of your rising. Key word there. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar. And your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Verse 6. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news and praises to the Lord. Nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Check. People coming from afar. Check. Gold, frankincense. Check. They shall bring good news and praises. Check. How cool. How beautiful is that? How perfect is that? I would say you can't even write that, but they did. And it's not just cool, it's for a reason. It's meant to be seen and to be noticed to actually teach us something. What it's telling us is that these magi, they aren't, they're just the first few foreign men who come to worship this baby. Just the first, not the last. They are the first few men to come and worship this king, but soon the nations will come. Because this isn't the only time the Old Testament tells us of a future day when the nations come and worship the God of Israel. Here in Isaiah 60, it says that the nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see all, they all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. The nations are gathered. But we also see this in the book of Micah chapter 4. Put it up here on the screen. 
It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountains of the ho- mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and the people shall flow to it. <laughs> Uphill. <laughs> Psalms 86, 9. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you. Jeremiah 3.17, at that time Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord and all nations shall gather to it. As we look at the New Testament, we, we find these passages in, in books like Ephesians and Colossians talking about this mystery hidden from ages and generations. The mystery that is revealed now to the saints, according to Paul, is the fact that the Gentiles... The nations are adopted as the people of God. And let's let's just be clear, this was not a surprise. It shouldn't have been. We see it in these prophets. We see it all over the Old Testament. But here, with these magi, we are seeing the first trickle of a coming torrent. We are seeing the first faint whisper of a coming windstorm sweeping across the entire earth, gathering people from every tribe and tongue and nation to come and to worship the one true God. These are the first foreign men to come and fall down and worship this baby boy. These are the first to come and worship the one who is called Emmanuel, God with us. These are the first foreign men to understand the fact that this baby is not just the king of the Jews, but the king of the nations, that he came to offer Uh, They came to offer him what cost them much and to bow before him. To recognize that he is not just a king, but he is the king. He came to worship. They came to worship him. They were the first, but they will not be the last. And the question that we have to ask today as we come to this passage is simply this. Is he your king? Is he the one that you came to bow before I lost my place. (laughs) I am very lost. I'm sorry. Here we go. I think that's it. So, is he your king? Because when we look at this passage, what we see is that the three different people, or three different groups of people, respond to Jesus in three different ways. We've already seen how the Magi respond, but let's just think back for a minute. How do the other people, the other groups in this passage respond to Jesus? We see the current king, Herod, how he responds. We see a little bit about how the local Jews respond. And then we see how the Magi respond. So how does Herod respond? When he hears that the king of the Jews was born, how does he respond? Well, when he hears, his primary response is defensive, right? He understands that this baby is a threat. This baby is a rival. And so what he wants to do, his first instinct is to defend himself from what this baby might take from him, his power and his throne. That's the first way that we see somebody respond. Number two, the local Jews. Now, to be fair, we don't really know exactly how much the Jews knew, how much they had been told. We don't see it happen in this passage, but what we do know from this passage is that they knew enough to be troubled about how Herod would respond. So it seems they knew a little bit about what was going on here. Not just that, but also their chief priests and scribes were invited into the conversation, at least to some degree, 
to try to figure out where this king of the Jews would have been born. So I think it's fair to assume that they might have heard a whisper, <laughs> might have been picking up on the hints that the king of the Jews had come to be born. The other thing is that we, the star in the sky was the fulfillment of their scriptures. We just have to wonder, why didn't they notice? Where, where were they? I mean, it was, it was in the sky. <laughs> you can't, can't hide it. But when they hear about the king of the Jews, their primary response isn't defensiveness, but it seems just indifference. They're more busy being troubled about how Herod's going to respond than actually wondering whether this is the king that they were told was going to come. And what's more than that, I mean, they very easily could have just traveled to Jerusalem or to Bethlehem to go, to go looking for this baby. It was a small town, and frankly, it was 4.4 miles from the center of Jerusalem. That's from here to the dump, not even. It's not very far. They could have, and it's such a small town. I mean, the chances are we're going to see next week, Herod's going to, when Herod kills all the babies in the town, it's such a small town, chances are there's probably only 15 to 20 babies. It's a small place. It would have been an easy place to go and see, hey, is somebody giving birth to a kid here? Any new babies recently? But from everything we can tell, Herod responds defensively and the Jews respond indifferently. And what about the Magi? We've seen this again. We'll see it. We saw it before. We'll see it again here now. The Magi, these Gentiles from far away, they were not defensive. They were not indifferent. Rather, what they did was they watched. And when they saw the star, they noticed. And then they traveled, and they sought out this king, journeying far, 800 to 1,000 miles most likely. And when they found him, what did they do? We read clearly. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They fell down and worshipped him, and they offered him gifts. And they did this because they knew that they had found the king, the king of the Jews, the one that they had been waiting and watching for. Be free. If, if you are a believer, then you follow in the tradition of the Magi. That these men, in a sense, we might say, are your and my spiritual forefathers. The first to seek this king. The first to find this king and to bow before this king. This one that we call Jesus Christ. Because he is the one who came to bring the blessings to the nations, to take the throne of his father David and usher in an eternal, everlasting kingdom. He is the one who came to save the people from their sins. By giving his life as payments for the sins of the world, rising again in victory over sin and death. And now he shares that life, that victory with all who believe in him. That is Jesus Christ. That is who he did, who he is, and that is what he did. And so again, we return to the question, how will you respond to that news? Will you respond like Herod? <laughs> will you respond like the local Jews? Or will you respond like the Magi. Some of us will respond like Herod, because, let's face it, Jesus is a threat. <laughs> Jesus does threaten to take away things that are important to us. He does threaten to take away power, take away control, take away the throne of our lives, doesn't he? 
we understand that if this baby is actually the king of the earth, if he's actually who the books of the Bible says he is, if he actually is the one who has all power to rule over all the nations, if he actually is the highest authority, then what he says goes. And if he says something that's different than what we like, then we have to go with that. His authority threatens our freedom. He threatens the ability for us to live the way we want. And if that's something that you're struggling with, then the first thing I want to say to you is simply, thank God you're understanding. That is what God calls us to. It is what he asks of us. Jesus actually says it clearly in Matthew chapter 16. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus asks for everything. But what he gives us in return for that surrender, for that faith, is so much better. What he gives us is himself and the fullness of life that we find in him. Jesus asks for everything. But what he gives us is even more. Whoever loses his life for my sake, he says, will find it. Now, that's true. That's something that we need to hear if we do not believe, but I want to argue that that's something we need to hear if we do believe, too, because for me, I struggle with this. I struggle constantly to take control back of my life, to take control back from the one who I have professed to be my king, to put myself back on the throne of my life. And when I do, I need to be reminded, I need to remind myself that the king that I have professed to serve is a better king than I can ever be. (laughs) He is more powerful, he is more good, and the plan that he has for my life might not be what I had planned, but it's better than I could ever come up with. That's the kind of king he is, and I know that because of what the rest of the Bible tells me about him. Man, we could spend many, many Sundays going through everything the Bible says about our God, but he is good He is merciful. He is just. He is the kind of God you would want on the throne. So Christian, surrender. Let him set the terms over your life. Imitate the magi. Bow before your king. Bow before your king. So some of us are threatened to respond like Herod. Some of us are respond or threat or uh, some of us respond to Jesus like the Jews. Not so much defensive, but indifferent. Because frankly, some of us don't really care that much over who Jesus was. That was a long time ago. Haven't seen him in a while. I might ask you the question, well, who is Jesus? Is he the king? And you might respond, well, well I don't know, but I'm late for work and my daughter won't put her shoes on. It's, it's a question that is so important, but it's not a pressing question. It doesn't feel like a pressing question on a day-to-day basis. We have life to take care of. We've got things to do. And the news that the Messiah has come doesn't make you hit your knees. It's more likely to make you shrug your shoulders. I mean, it's just not the thing at the forefront of our minds. And if that's the way that you feel about Jesus, I want, again, I want to say, I, I understand. It did happen a long time ago. And hey, maybe you're young and death feels like a long way away. So why deal with that today? Why not put that off? I understand that temptation as well. But if that is you, If that is what you struggle with, not so much defensiveness, but simply indifference, then I'm not going to try to convince you today that you should care about it with logical argument. That's not the direction I'm going to go. I'm not going to try to scare you with with threats of hell and brimstone. That's not the direction I'm going to go today. But what I do want to say today is this, 
that you can search the rest of your life for contentment in this life. You can search for years for fulfillment in the things of this world, but I will save you the time. The things in this world will not satisfy. You will not find what you're looking for. The reason we know that is because about six, seven hundred, six or seven billion people have gone before us looking for purpose in this life, looking for fulfillment. And what I find when I look around the world is that the people who are the most successful aren't necessarily the people who are the happiest. I, I, I heard a quote recently. I don't know who said it, so I can't cite it. But what this person said was, it's hard to be truly depressed until your dreams come true. The point is, we, we are looking for contentment, for joy, for happiness in this life, but as soon as we get that thing we're looking for, we realize, oh shoot, there's still something not right. There's still something missing. There's still some kind of gap. And the reason be, that we will never find what we're looking for, find that sense of fulfillment in this world, is because God created us to need something that this world cannot offer. We were created for something else. God created us in order to be in an intimate, eternal, joyful relationship with the God of the universe. That's what he created us for. And we had it. Before sin came into the world, we had that relationship. When sin came into the world, it broke us, and it broke our relationship with God. By faith in Jesus Christ, that intimate reunion with God can be accomplished, offered as a gift to us from the God of the universe. God loves you with a love that no woman, no man, no parent, no child, no pet could ever give. He gives us a contentment that no success could ever offer. All you have pales in comparison for all, with all that is better. And that's what he offers us in Jesus Christ. And so will you respond to Jesus like Herod? Will you respond to Jesus like the Jews with indifference? Or, I want to call you to today, will you respond to Jesus like the Magi? Tirelessly seek him. Rejoice with joy when you find him. And then when you do, bow before him. The one who loves you enough to come into the world to live here with us and then die for us. And you might not be a believer. Maybe that all of this is new. You're figuring it out. You're, you're trying to feel your way through this. Who is this Jesus? What did he do? Is it true at all? Maybe your main feeling towards Jesus is doubt. I want to tell you this. There are two kinds of doubt. There is a doubt that causes you to pull away in suspicion, and there's also a doubt that causes you to push in with examination. I want to call you to doubt the second kind of doubt, to push in with examination, to seek, to ask questions. I want to call you not to do that alone. Do it with the person you came with. Do it with somebody else from this church, somebody you know, somebody you trust, somebody you love. If you don't know, okay, that's fine, but let's seek answers and let's do it together. This is the safest place in the world for you to wrestle with that second kind of doubt. Seeking for answers. Examining, is this true? Is Jesus who the Bible says he is? Because I'm confident that if you seek him, you will find that he is exactly who the book of Matthew and the rest of scripture says he is. He is the word of the Father now in flesh 
appearing, the descendant of Abraham, the descendant of David, the one we have been waiting for, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and the one who will save you from your sins by faith and be the king over you in your life. Will you pray with me? Father, I feel like the message of the gospel, um, the message of the person and work of Jesus Christ, the gospel, you, who you are and what you've done, is a message that is sweet and beautiful when we hear it, and, and becomes sweeter and beautiful the more we, more beautiful the more we hear it. Man, I pray this a lot, Father, but I pray that our church would be a church that is continually and increasingly re-enchanted to the beautiful story of you, what you've done and who you are. And in the season as we think about your coming, Father, I pray that it would move us to a deeper appreciation and love and joy in who you are, Lord, that it would drive us to our knees, that it would drive us to pray, that it would drive us uh, to, to delight, Father, in the amazing picture of love that you showed us by coming as a, as a man, as a baby. And Father, for those of us who aren't yet quite sure of who you are, I pray that um, anybody who does not believe that you are the Christ, I pray that they would doubt with that second kind of doubt. A doubt that leads to examination, to seeking. And that at the very least today, Lord, they would, number one, pray to you and just say, God, show me who you are. And number two, that they would turn to someone they trust and say, I'm trying to figure out who Jesus is. Father, do your work today. In all of us. We give all of our lives to you when we pray this. In Jesus' name, amen. He is the one who